is Doki Doki Literature Club, one of the best games of all time. Yes. Okay. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Best Games of All Time podcast, where we were formerly the Greatest Games of All Time podcast, and where we endeavor to have the shortest introduction in all of games podcasting. I'm Aaron. This is my co-host, Brandon. Hello. And tonight we are talking about Doki Doki Literature Club, the 2017 freeware visual novel developed by Team Salvato. And Brandon, I'm going to go first, if it's okay with you. Good. Let's do it. So, Brandon, for me, this game contains so much meaning that I don't really know where to begin on it. And the only approach that I can discern is just to approach it kind of as it presents itself to us, which is, of course, as an anime dating simulation and I think it's possible to separate that term and talk about anime and dating sims separately and I actually like some anime like I've seen some of the really critically acclaimed stuff like the pseudo uh, philosophical stuff like I've seen the first Ghost in the Shell movie Um, I've seen Cowboy Bebop I've seen some of Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, But there's something I see a lot of in anime, and to me it's kind of like a really heavy use of stereotypes, um, tropes, uh, to describe characters, particularly women characters. And I think you can see this visually as well as in how personalities are shown Mm -hmm. in anime. And... There's something going on visually where, to me, it sure seems like anime artists really love to draw uh, these women who have, like, really large breasts, really tiny waists, and really long legs. And when I see this, it makes me think a couple things. Um, One is, like, wow, that anime lady is just proportionally way out of step with any human being I've ever seen in real life. And the other thing is, when I see this, I feel like I'm looking at a, a drawing of a thing that the artist wants to have sex with. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a, a 2D sex doll. Yeah. Yeah. And I... So that's the visual aspect. And I think you can see it with uh, personalities, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might have like the like there's a character type that's like the cutesy airhead ditzy type to use a kind of gender term um, who is so clumsy that they seem to have problems just getting through like day-to-day life accomplishing basic life tasks yeah. and they seem to be yeah they seem to be just sort of like waiting for a man to come along and help them you know mm-hmm and then I think you can see the like fiery, quick to anger, easily offended girl um, who yells a lot <laughs> and often ends up being the comic relief by hitting other characters. Mm-hmm. 
And so all of these are present in Doki Doki Literature Club. And it's clear that it's intentional because the game goes on to subvert all these tropes, I think, to great effect later on. But it does, it establishes those classic anime tropes so well that I just felt really uncomfortable playing it, like, especially the first act. Um, some of like the flirting between people who are not of legal age, you know, yeah. um, cert- like more uncomfortable than some of the scenes of graphic violence that uh, come in the later chapters. Yeah, I almost, uh, I totally, uh, I totally agree with that. And I almost, I found myself wondering uh, after playing this, it, how similar people's playthroughs would be. I, I wonder what the numbers are given the characters that you can choose to first pursue. Yeah. Because uh, I found myself, you know, avoiding the 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 youngest one. Um, Natsuki. Natsuki, yeah, because it was so effective at like, being uncomfortable with the the flirtatiousness they're throwing at you. Yeah. And I think there's one in particular where I've played the game through multiple times, so I've seen uh both of both of the like you can get like special scenes with each girl, you know, depending mm-hmm. on which one you decide to pursue. And uh the one with Natsuki, there's one She's. It seems like she's supposed to be 15, maybe 16, you know? Um, but there's one scene where she's, like, sitting on the floor next to you, and the, the perspective changes, and it shows, like, a full-page art image of her sitting on the floor mm-hmm. next to you. And she looks like she's about 13 years old as she's yeah. drawn in that image. And I... So I think... Um, and. I, I haven't played other dating sims, but what I gather is that the game sets out to take a lot of these kind of tropey things like that and, uh, you know, subvert them ultimately to make what I feel is a political point. Uh, but I, I, it's like very well established to the point that I was like, Jesus Christ, I hope no one... It's like, I want to get up and deadbolt the door <laughs> when playing it. So, yeah. Uh, there's some moments of extreme discomfort early on. Yeah, it's definitely plenty of moments in that game where I could find my, like, see myself, you know, it's not what it looks like explaining my way out of, like, hold on, hold on. It's a horror game. Like, Your wife walks in. Come back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, what was, what was your first thing? Um, well, now my first thing I feel creepy about talking about because, uh, when you talk about you set that tone, um, mine was the effective effectiveness of uh, emotional connection that the game is able to generate. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's you know partly, I think that's a a, a nod to the writing, but mm-hmm. it's also just it's an understanding of the of of the types of emotions that you know beyond the the tropey uh one-dimensional feelings that the characters normally employ uh instead it's it feels very human um Mm -hmm. you know dealing with 
depression or anxiety, um, you know, just the general fear of like one of the characters, uh, I think Natsuki is, you know, abused. And so the, the way that the characters would hide things and then ultimately reveal them, uh, I just, mm-hmm. I, I thought it was very profound. I thought it did a really, that's the first thing that struck me. You know, I guess I, I, I didn't, um, I pushed past the, <laughs> the discomfort and just ignored that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the thing that really, uh, um, uh, caught me off guard was the the first reveal of actual depth of emotion and then the language behind that that it wasn't just a character saying i'm depressed it was talking about the feelings of you know how, how that actually manifests for them in their life and the struggles that they have and uh you know how on the outside uh was it sayori she mm-hmm. looks like a just an airhead who can't get her life together and you know is always running late and really she's just depressed and she can barely get herself out of bed, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. that, uh, duality. Uh, I think most people can relate to that of, you know, feeling one way and then being observed in another. Um, yeah. And that scene was the, the way it was revealed. And then this, the interactions between the protagonist and her, I thought were, it's it was handled i mean her description of it was so like tender and mm-hmm. human and then i i just thought it was a real coup de gras the way the exchange that follows where she's confessing um you know you've never seen me like this before but i've had really bad depression my whole life and the character predictably responds the main character he's like oh well i'm going to be by your side every step of the way i'm going to do everything i can and and she's just flatly like you don't understand at all like mm-hmm. that that's not what is going to help me and nothing can help me um and it's just it's like i i've watched um some streams of dan salvato the game creator where he plays the game and talks about it and he was saying with that scene in particular in a typical anime dating sim that's a, the scene where like romance would be initiated or mm-hmm. like pushed further down the path because um, someone would confess their depression and then the protagonist has the opportunity to come in and save the girl, you know, and say, oh, I'm going to help you now. And that's part of their romance, but it, you know, his attempt to do that completely falls flat in this game. I just thought it was such a human treatment of depression. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I I thought... uh... Yeah, I don't know what more to add there, but because yeah, I just uh, I agree. <laughs> yeah, and I think we should talk about um, the. So we talked about anime. I think we should talk about the dating sim aspect mm-hmm. too. Um, I think the key thing to point out about dating sims is that they present this like idealized view of the world for a certain type of person, which is like a heterosexual man typically where it's like there's a an array of girls laid out for the protagonist choosing and they have no real role outside of the development of the protagonist and i thought it was and they have no life you know they have no agency they're just there to deliver enjoyment for the protagonist and uh i like we were talking about with sayori 
she's so interesting because all of the girls in the game she's hardwired to love you at like a as the game makes brutally clear mm-hmm. later down the road she's like hard coded to love you but she has this very severe form of depression uh which is rooted in like an extreme self-loathing self-hatred and she so so that she feels that she's undeserving of any kind of affection mm-hmm. let alone yours um as the person that she loves and so while she rejects your affection because she loves you it's also painful for her to see you give affection to anyone else and I think at this point the game asks, um, what if girls in this in these sort of hokey dating sim premise premises had any agency whatsoever, right? Or what we might consider to be the most basic form of agency, which is uh, the ability to choose to continue to live or to die. And obviously Sayori who's in a basically an intractable situation where she has these feelings for you and she can't act on them because of how she feels about herself, but then she can't see you acting on your feelings toward others because that also makes her feel horrible. Um, she's in this situation that she can't get out of and she ultimately opts out and hangs herself. And I think if the game were to stop there, and of course it doesn't, mm-hmm. but if it were, it would be... a kind of trite and obvious but still really interesting subversion of the dating sim genre because it it's pretty the genre in particular is pretty problematic i think with how it handles uh women characters yeah so go ahead no i'm just i'm trying to remember to that's what i'm just when she hangs herself, the game it it sort of ends there, right? That's when the 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 next phase of the gameplay kind of kicks in. Yes, because you have that horror moment, you know, of like, oh god, and then uh, it kind of just glitches out, and you're you're brought back. Um, <laughs> and the, the the stuff that I just thought was like hilarious, like. Sayori is replaced on the title screen with like a glitched out amalgamation of the three other girls that yeah. are in the game. <laughs> There's so many funny moments like that in the game that I just thought were, I mean, they're intended to make you feel uncomfortable, but you can, it, I mean, I've complained before on this podcast of like, oh, you can see the hand of the developer intruding into the game to like make a puzzle Mm-hmm. or something but in this case it's more of like watching a like a virtuoso musician play the piano or something like that you can just see like the little all the little things that the game inserts to make you like there's a a scene in act 2 and when i replayed the game i started to notice these little things there's a scene in act 2 where one of the pictures that is normally on the wall of the classroom that you see like through the whole game has been replaced with like a still image of Sayori's bedroom where she's hung herself. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And that's one of like dozens of little Mm -hmm. sort of Easter eggs that are meant to be funny in like an extremely dark way, but uh, also unnerving. So 
Yeah, yeah, and I think you know what you're talking about there—the the difference between the way this game handles, uh, like you're like you're saying, the complaint of you know seeing seeing the hands, seeing the puppet strings—is it's it's actually deliberate, right? Where in other yes. games it can be the the issue is that it's um, it's something that's exposed through you know lack of being careful or or uh, strategic, whereas in this one it's the game is leading you to breaking the fourth wall. Like that's the, that's kind of where it's taking you. Um, and so mm -hmm. it's, it's revealing those things, but it's because it means to. Um, mm -hmm. And so I don't know. And I didn't of course know that at the time as I was experiencing it, but I think that probably has something to do with why it didn't feel uh, cheap or annoying or, you know, jarring because it was mm -hmm. like okay something is going on here i don't know what it is but it's clearly intentional yeah the game just starts to like completely unwind like um if if you haven't we should put it we should put like a disclaimer in at the beginning or something if you haven't played the game please and you plan to at all please stop listening because it <laughs> doesn't have any it loses all of its meaning if you know what's going to happen yeah but uh yeah, I the game I mean the the basic premise of taking like establishing a story arc and then making you play through it again but having it like just unwind before your very eyes, you know, unravel uh is was just so unbelievably effective to me and so partly it's done by some of the glitching out stuff and partly it's done by little changes in dialogue where you're like that's weird you know like that that's the way they said last time and that sounds kind of weird and uh you know the poetry it's like you one of the core mechanics is like exchanging poems that you write with the other girls in the club and they some of the poems that you receive from other girls start to get very dark mm -hmm. you know <laughs> and one one ends up being like a ask for help like hey i can't talk about this out loud but can you please help this person i think something is something is wrong with him so yeah i just thought it was so effective and as someone who never plays horror games because i'm too scared and i need uh i need my mommy <laughs> or you know you over at my house to help me get through it but it was just uh just remarkably effective to me yeah no it the thing that I did like about it in the, if you're talking in the uh, pillar of horror, horror, uh, is that it, it was effective and, and it was creepy and it wasn't, um, you know, I think the things like we talked about that they do use that are uncomfortable, like the, the top down shot of the young mm -hmm. girl, you know, yeah. these kind of things there that's again, that's intentional. Like the, the feeling of discomfort, is 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 produced you know or it's um manufactured uh that's all by design uh -huh. um and then the horror elements themselves when you know get the the violence comes in with how their characters are offing themselves um there's a campiness to it where it's well i don't know there, there's a campiness to it but then there's also i'm thinking about yuri right where she's kind of comically stabbing herself yeah um, it's like very abrupt and jarring and 
and over the top, but then it's followed up by sitting in a classroom with her <laughs> over the weekend while her corpse decays, and you're just like sitting there, you know, presumably your character is in shock, you know, just kind of like... Or it's sort of like, yeah, or the way I interpreted it is like you're stuck. There's like a script error, you know, or something like that. And you're like forced to observe it or, you know, because you can't leave. There's like no pathway in the game for you to just leave. I think that's a better interpretation of it. And I think actually Monica references that when she finds you on Monday, right? Says something about the script breaking. Yeah. 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 And then she goes, she goes, that must have been so boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, it's so good. Yeah. And, and in that scene, it's like, I mean, it's it's very, like, gross, right? It's like the corpse, like, the life fades from her eyes, like, more and more as the, because you're in there all weekend and you have to hit fast forward because to, because it's, time is like proceeding at a normal pace but you have to hit fast forward or it's going to take like literally 48 hours to get through the weekend and uh it's just page after page of like weird glitched out text scrolling at the bottom of the screen and the music is just this weird like ominous creepy thing it's just so good i mean the the right way to play this game is i think an experience that not many people had, unfortunately, but it's to be the person who plays these types of games normally, like not mm. horror subversions of dating sims, but who plays dating sims, and then to have played this completely side and scene and had this all unfold as a surprise, which the game has such a reputation and did within a few months of it coming out that I think relatively few people ended up having that experience. Yeah, I would love to to hear about that from someone though that that did enter it thinking it was a dating sim because it takes it's at least an hour right of gameplay where it seems like a and again i haven't played other dating sims but i I get the idea that the first whatever 40 minutes or an hour of it are very much what a dating sim is you know uh the reading reading through a novel and sort of you know sort of choosing branching paths but you're definitely on rails um yeah, so I could see how, it, yeah, it could lead you to believe it's one thing and then be something completely different. I mean, now you go to the Steam page and it, you know, on the very front page it says psychological horror or something. So, mm. uh, you know, it, yeah, the cat's out of the bag at this point, right? I mean, obviously, it's it's got a a reputation, but yeah. Um. I wanted to talk about like before we were alluding alluding to um, it doesn't stop there after Sayori's suicide and we later find out the reason that Sayori and later Yuri kill themselves is because they are you know Monica is a sentient AI Monica who's like the club leader and is sort of like a tutorial type character right who's meant to just help you but not be someone that you can have a relationship with in the game she's woken up as a sentient AI and she has gone into Sayori and Yuri's character files and tweaked aspects of their personalities. Again, these are video game create a character mode like archetypes with tweakable sliders essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and she has tweaked their personalities to make Sayori more depressive and Yuri more obsessive. Um, but I thought, for me, what this game, or what that plot twist was emphasizing is that everything in the game is the product of code. It's all a simulation, right? And the only way you get this type of situation where there's a group of women arrayed before a male protagonist who then gets to choose is in a simulation. And I think the game is in part trying to warn us or at least make a political point about kind of the dangers, I guess, or the problems inherent to these simulations or virtual worlds that simulate real world interactions like romantic love without being an accurate simulation at all because of all of the human aspects of the person that you're pursuing have been stripped away and it's just Mm -hmm. someone who's coded to say yes basically and um it it reminded me of this Hayao Miyazaki quote that I just happened to come across um as I was preparing for this podcast and it's from a tv documentary where he's just sort of showing his artistic process. And this is what he says. He says, you see, whether you can draw like this or not, or being able, or whether you can think up this kind of design, it depends or not, it depends on, sorry, whether or not you can say to yourself, oh yeah, girls like this exist in real life. If you don't spend time watching real people, you can't do this because you've never seen it. Some people spend their lives interested only in themselves. Almost all Japanese animation is produced with hardly any basis taken from observing real people. It's produced by humans who can't stand looking at other humans. And that's why the industry is full of otaku. And, um, nice. yeah. <laughs> so he, 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 he's, has, a his opinion on that is pretty hardened. And, yeah. um, but I just thought it was very interesting how closely it paralleled a quote from the character Monica in the third act of the game after she's deleted everything else in the game but herself and you and this like weird classroom that's floating in this weird space that it should have like a cool sci-fi name like void space or eternity space or something cool sounding like that because it's like there's just weird space nebulas like that you can see out the window and it has this awesome creepy music but anyway she says i've always wondered what is it about these character archetypes that people find so appealing anyway are people really attracted to these weird personalities that literally don't exist in real life it's like you're siphoning out all of the components of a character that make them feel human and just leaving the cute stuff it's concentrated cuteness with no actual substance. Um, So for me, the the sort of deconstruction of the dating sim genre that the game performs ends up being basically a criticism of these virtual worlds that allow people to escape and have human-like interactions, like romance, but but without any of the trappings of making that interaction one that's with a real human being, like that the opposite person having opinions and a personality and the choice to accept your pursuit or, or not, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's I I find that interesting because it's clearly that's uh Densavato, that's his intention. It's, that, that, that's like the whole point he's trying to make with this. Uh, and he you know, he's he has said that, you know, that that was kind of the purpose behind it. But then he's also a fan of this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um I don't know that it's just the the way those play at odds with each other. Totally. It's really interesting. I don't know what's and going I, on there. Yeah. And I I don't really know what to make of it other than I mean uh, some of the stuff he said is is like people like what they like. Mm-hmm. And there's one of his real big themes is that you know just because someone has some hobby and you can see this in the way the character Yuri is written because she says stuff like this all the time. It's like just because someone has a hobby that doesn't appeal to you, does it mean that you need to judge them or um, something like that? And mm-hmm. I find that hard like not to do. But at the same time, you know, I was yeah, I, I played like Pokemon growing mm-hmm. up, you know, and like by the time people got in middle school, it was already uncool to play Pokemon Red and Blue, you know? And so I remember that very vividly being, like, ashamed and wanting to hide that. And um, so I, it's like I, my instinct is to come down hard on the genre because of some of the problematic aspects with gender and the way that women are depicted visually. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's, it's like I feel like I need to, listen to what Dan's saying and say, and you know, it's like, well, that's their hobby and it's not hurting anyone at least directly. So it's, it it might be hurting those people who play those types of games because Mm -hmm. that leads them to retreat into virtual worlds, but it's kind of none of my business maybe. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I think, uh, I think that's probably, I, I can relate to that. Uh, as well and I think probably most people can is the there's we we each have something that we could be judged for um I would say wrongfully judged for like your example of Pokemon you know like who gives a fuck right but people clearly do and did um but uh yeah I don't know that's interesting like with the 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 dating sim stuff it's like people are into this and if they want to be into it then let them is it problematic yeah, probably. I mean, in in some ways, um, but I guess if it's problematic for a person, then then we can observe it and and move on. I don't know. It's uh, it's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, the way that, that that's exposed, uh, and the way it's all kind of exposed, right? In that that dialogue with Monica when she just rips everything off and just says like. <laughs> here's here's what's happening here's uh here's why i've done this and uh yeah kind that's of my herself to it yeah yeah that's my favorite scene in the game mm. it's my favorite part of the game um i just it's, it's like the, just the eerie scene and the there's all these weird contrasts in her dialogue because it's like she is a she's a sentient AI, so she's aware that it's a game, but she's simultaneously not able to escape mm-hmm. sort of the the bounds of her character because she is coded to be a certain 
way, I guess. And it's like at the beginning of that scene, she's like, so I've deleted everything else in the world. I don't think time even exists anymore. And then she confesses her love to you. And it all, it all culminates in her going, will you go out with me? (laughs) (laughs) Which is just such a funny like thing because, you know, she's in high school and when you're in high school, that's like the apex of expression of, of affection for someone. Um, yeah. And it's like, it's just funny. Cause it's like, what does it mean to go out if time doesn't exist anymore? And we're the only two people left in the world and, and whatnot. So it's just, there are many like just very self-aware, hilarious bits of writing in the game that I just thought were so spot on. Yeah. I think that, uh, I don't know what I want to add to that. I had a couple of different thoughts and, uh, they all ran away. Well, I think in Act Three, the game um, it basically puts gender to the side, you know, because I think that's been at least that's how I read it. Is like it's a sort of deconstruction of the anime dating sim genre with the purpose of making some political comments about that genre and mm-hmm. specifically how women are portrayed in it. Um, and but then it it shifts in Act Three to basically being about AI, uh, and as it must do, right? Because the the plot kind of hinges on the idea that there's a sentient AI. So of course that's a question that you need to explore. Um, I, I only point that out because I've been replaying Final Fantasy VIII, which is one of my favorite games. But the premise of that game is that you are in a group of teenage mercenaries. And you were recruited to the mercenary army straight out of an orphanage. And the game spends zero amount of time exploring like the ethical implications of that. Uh, It's like, yeah, this is just fine. Everyone's fine with this. But anyway, so that's how Doki Doki does Final Fantasy VIII one better. But the, (laughs) the way I like to think about Act 3, which again i think is about ai is like for whom did you feel bad as you were playing through the game because i sure felt bad for sayori um and the via her depiction of depression and and the way it's kind of rooted in this self-loathing which not to get too personal but that's something i've struggled with for most of my adult life and then i felt bad for yuri but in the end, I feel bad for Monica because she's a sentient being in a world of like fake, ultimately one-dimensional video game characters. Yeah, yeah and, it's having the awareness and and then being shackled to, the, you know, a world where you actually don't have an impact or can't make change, but you you don't have the ignorance is bliss. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Right. And. But then I'm like, well, how can you feel bad for Monica, who is almost certainly guilty of at least third-degree murder? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but then but then I'm like, let's ask Monica herself, because she talks about it in Act 3. And she's like, come on, everyone's killed people in games before. Does that make you a psychopath? Of course not. And none of us feel bad for stomping on a Goomba. No one felt bad uh, for playing that idiotic 
Call of Duty level called No Russian. Do you remember where you're like oh, yeah. undercover? Yeah. yeah. And you mow down civilians. Um, so I think I think in asking this question, Doki Doki surpasses just say the Matrix, for example, which is about a similar thing. Mm-hmm. It's about a sentient AI. Um because what that movie does is it it sort of breaks down the boundary between the digital world and the real world and but it allows the AI to escape into the real world, right? And ultimately it does that, I think, to um just just sort of to come up with some set pieces for like cool kung fu scenes and <laughs> gunfights and stuff like that. But Doki Doki blurs the boundary between the real world and the virtual world, but it confines the AI to the virtual world. It keeps it there. Monica is stuck there. And then we have to ask ourselves the question of what moral standard do we apply to Monica, right? Is it the standard of her own world, the video game world, um, where she would be guilty of third-degree murder for murdering people who are like her, other video game characters? Or do we apply the standards of our own world where she's just killing video game characters and that's something people do all the time? And I think how you come down on it um, has a big... I mean, it, it, it. I think it indicates how you feel about the game and uh, what which of the game's themes that you kind of connected with. And I think you can't, I mean, obviously you can delete Monica's character file. That's the true ending of the game, right? You go mm-hmm. into the, the program files and delete her character. But the most recent time I played through it, I didn't do that. And I just leave her in the room to be and come back in and, and like check in on her, you know, occasionally. Oh, interesting. And, uh, and I think that's the best ending. And so is there just, I'm assuming there's just like some sort of, uh, you know, trailing dead end dialogue that would repeat or what when you like? Well, she has, I mean, you can, if you look on the wiki, there's like, there's somewhere around like 50 different little mm-hmm. things she'll say. And she's just musing on all sorts of stuff. Right. And eventually it loops, but it's, mm-hmm. there's so many of them that you, if you probably don't know that they they yeah, live unless you it at least offers area. the illusion of of endlessness right of like yeah trying to exhaust you before you exhaust it yeah 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 and it's also it's very like lucid um kind of spot on commentary about like she's like here's why i'm a vegetarian you know and uh you know people like everyone's expected to go to college but the offer of like a trade school or something like that is something people never even consider and it could be much better for a certain type of person it's like stuff that a really smart person about to graduate from high school would (laughs) be thinking about right and and sometimes she'll talk about the game um she she says some really like dark stuff about sayori and it's clear that and yuri and it's clear that she regards them as not on her level you know she's she's sentient and they're not so she says stuff about how when sayori hanged herself uh she did it wrong and so she like made it much worse for herself than it really needed to be like very casually Mm -hmm. you know 
Um, so it's it's definitely playing up that aspect of her her personality, but uh, it's an awesome scene. It's just so awesome. I think. Yeah. No. I like. I. There was this kind of like definitely breaking of the fourth wall, but then kind of reverting back, and it kind of oscillated, right? Where it was, you know, mm-hmm. Monica's talking about, uh, you know, referencing you, the player, like not not the not the character, but the person sitting in the chair. Yeah. Um, and so it's like a deliberate demolishing of the fourth wall, but then also going back to being shackled to like I'm in this game, you know, I, I can't I can't reach beyond the code that was written. Yeah. Um, and so you kind of see the torment there, but the way that it, uh, I don't know, it, it, it felt, it felt, it felt well done the way they kind of break the fourth wall, but then they go back and, and, you know, allow you to manipulate the game files and, and to, mm-hmm. to keep treating it like a game. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, other games have done this too, right? Like as far back, like you remember, um, Metal Gear, the first Metal Gear solid with, uh, snake. No, Mantis. Yeah, unplug your controller uh, and plug it into yeah, the second port. Like yeah, reading your memory card file and stuff like that. Or, uh, yeah, and that stuff is like, yeah. I mean, like that was cool at the time, and I mean, this game is just, it's just like light years beyond that, you know. And how it, both in like, the cool stuff it does with, you know, it's like you could you literally go into the program files of the game and it's not a real file right it's a fake one made up so that you can do this but you do the act of like opening windows explorer or mac finder and going in and deleting that file uh and it it has an effect in the game that's really awesome and way cooler to me than uh like plug your it because it's like it's explained by the game, right? Whereas in Metal Gear Solid, it's like, okay, suddenly, like, the PlayStation is a thing within the game. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't I understand, even if it was cool the first time I played that in Metal Gear Solid. Um, yeah. But but also just the, the seriousness with which the game approaches the artificial intelligence theme, I thought, is one of the best ways it's ever been done in games. And, uh, I mean, there's another game that I really like that does this called Soma, but it's, I think it's light years ahead of, of Soma too. Yeah. I haven't seen it in like, uh, another game that does it, you know, you see the little nods of it where like eternal darkness, they kind of Mm -hmm. screw with you. Um, but it's not, you're not pulled in as much. It's, it's very much, you know, you're, you're reacting to it or it's happening to you. And it's kind of um, gimmicky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which yeah. I think, yeah, you know, it's that those are definitely, I mean, what are those like 15, 20 year old games, right? So, uh, and being the first ones to do it, they're pretty limited in what they can offer. But mm. the way that I think even PC allows itself, you know, playing on a PC or a Mac, uh, like you're saying, where you can, they create a sandbox that you can go and, it really looks as if you're you're tinkering with game files, mm-hmm. um, and so the way that's that's laid out, uh, again, it, it, it's in the same way that Monica is kind of vacillating between your world and hers. You're able to go into that limbo and fuck around, mm-hmm. um, and so it 
it does make that more real, right? Where it's, there is this in-between world that you're connecting on and she can pull the strings, but so can you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love it. It was really well done. I love it, man. Yeah. I just thought it was great. Um, so that's kind of, I mean, that's where I land on it is like, I just don't, I've never played a game that approached, uh, I mean, that is, it's like so ambitious in a way, right? With the, some of the questions that it tackles. And I mean, how vital is, is the, it's sort of exploration of gender now. Um, when, I mean, think about, do you know what the, do you know what the Bechtel test is? I don't. It's this, yeah. It's this thing that it's, it was created by this, um, cartoonist i think her name is allison bechtel and it just asks the question uh of a work of fiction are there two women in the work of fiction who talk to each other about something other than a man <laughs> and uh there's there's a website bechteltest.com where people can submit reviews of movies based on that criteria and there's a whole slew of movies like even last year that were huge movies that didn't pass this test. There's like Ad Astra did not pass the test. Um, the that children's movie How to Train Your Dragon, the most recent one, did not pass that test. John Wick three did not pass that test. <laughs> but guess what did? Pokemon Detective Pikachu did wow. pass the test. So video okay, games. Haters. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so, I mean, or, and think about video games in particular. It's like how many Ubisoft execs have been fired in the past year because people are coming forward about yeah. the horrible environment of, like, sexism and harassment. So um, I, I just think it's really, it's like asking the right questions at the right time. And, and in the end, it's like, it's a it's a video game. So what does it really do to advance the... Um, you know, that agenda, but it sure does a lot more than any other game that I've ever played, tried, tried to do. I guess. So on that, on that comment, I, I think I would agree then, but because before you said that, I was, I was thinking like, it does offer these questions and this topic, but I didn't, I guess for me, it didn't feel like it really, advanced a conversation around them it just kind of is putting it in your face like hey look at this you know you're sitting with a 12 year old girl like isn't like isn't that interesting <laughs> like how does that make you feel um it's so yeah it, it does a really i think it does a, a great job at presenting it and asking the questions i don't know that it, and maybe i'm my perspective on it is just off of like how it how it facilitates discussion there um and maybe i I'll, yeah yeah I think you're right. Like, what else can it do other than like point to the issue and be like, this is a problem, you know? And, uh, like there's that joke people make every Christmas about that song, baby, it's cold outside, Yeah, you know, which is like basically narrating a sexual assault. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the joke is like, Hey, does anyone else think this is problematic? Right. You know, like, but so in a sense, it's, it's doing that bit, but, uh, yeah, I just, I admire it for 
you know, even approaching it when, yeah, I mean, there's, we were talking about movies that don't meet the, the Bechdel test criteria. How many games do, you know, right. like next to none probably. So, um, yeah, I just really admire it. And I, I, like I said, I think it does the matrix one better. It does a lot of stuff. I mean, just from a narrative perspective, like effectiveness of narrative, I think about Monica's turn, I think you can call it, like when she reveals to you that she's the antagonist, basically. And it's, you know, it so much stuff has been happening in the game and the whole game has just been kind of unraveling in f- before your eyes. And you know Monica's involved somehow, but you don't really get in. And then she says, hey, this is what I've been doing. And it you it just confirms what you've already thought, right? Um, but it, you know, it's 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 not surprising, I guess. And you're you're able to accept it. And I was just thinking about like, let's compare that with what's probably the most famous turn in video games. It's probably Sephiroth in Final Fantasy VII, you know. And that guy goes from being chilled out to like like starting to swing his sword around and hit stuff and he and goes postal in the span of like four text boxes mm-hmm. you know so i mean and that's kind of for a lot of years it's kind of been one of the the gold standards of like complex storytelling where a a guy like loses his or gal loses their mind and becomes a like antagonist suddenly mm-hmm. and uh you know, I, I think Monica and Doki Doki Literature Club do Final Fantasy VII one better on that one too. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm struggling with why. Like as a, as we're talking about this, like I I enjoyed the game. Like I thought mm-hmm. it offered. I agree with all the points you know that we've made here, and and um, I mean it stayed with me. Like I I went and read about it. You know, even outside of knowing we're gonna record this podcast. Um, I wanted to know more, you know, so definitely it pulled me in in that way. Um, maybe I'm just like, you know, maybe, maybe my character flaws that nothing will ever be good enough. Um, <laughs> like what, like, what is it, you know, what more I'm trying to think, um, could it have offered? And it's not that like, I, I agree, like it's done these things better than any game that I've played. And I think that's, on one hand, that's easy to say because probably any other game doesn't even attempt it. Um, and then in the areas of talking about like the social implications of AI and the uh, you know kind of the troublesome nature of where we, we could go with companionship and all of that, I think that is something that's been done. Um, effectively in film. Right, um, but in games, I don't know. I don't know. And so that's what, and so I find myself saying, like, why am I hesitant to say this is the best game of all time? You know, what is it that just didn't it didn't get me there? Um, because There's... I I can't disagree with this stuff. You know, I'm just like, yeah, yeah. I, I uh, the qualms that I do have are things I'm saying where I don't even know if it's fair to expect of it like oh you brought this question up but you didn't facilitate further discussion you know is mm-hmm. that really a fair criticism this 
because like you said, what more can it do? It's a, it's a game, right? It, um, so, yeah, I so yeah, you know, there's, I think there's definitely a sort of X factor when anyone decides how they feel about a game and there's no way to put your finger on it. Um, but you know, for some reason or another, it just didn't land perfectly. And part of it, part of what I want this podcast to be about is like, let's try to put our finger on it and figure out what that is. But at a certain point, you know, sometimes you just don't like something and it it sounds like you do like it, but it's not, it doesn't go all the way there for you. And for me, it's like, there's a lot of little stuff in the game where I just felt like I was on the same wavelength Mm -hmm. as, as the writer and it's it's real little stuff that would seem marginal to even explain out loud but i'm like it's like oh yeah you know this person had an appropriate level of emotional reaction or mm-hmm. you know it's like this game spent enough time on the character's reaction to sayori's suicide it wasn't four text boxes it was like 15 text boxes mm-hmm. and at, that's the way it should be and it sounds trivial to explain out loud but there are many moments in the game like that where it's you know I was expecting the game to go in a direction and then it did mm-hmm. you know and or it's like the game should do this next and then it did and uh, I, I mean that's what it's one of the many like micro level things that push it over the edge for me. Yeah, that's uh, I really like that you pointed that out because <clears throat> that that was one of the things that I think did uh, count against it for me when mm-hmm. um, you know Sayori's killed herself and then you restarted the game, things were weird and then it it kind of accelerates things, right? And it's it is explained by Monica where she's like, look, I you know I'm done with these idiots. I just wanted us to be together. Um, but I, it is a hang-up for me, is when Yuri kills herself, it was very, like, the way her character escalated and then killed herself was was jarring. Um, well, what Too I found sudden. myself... It was, it, was, it was very sudden, and it was just like... Hmm. They, they do explain it away, so it, it, it makes sense. But what I found myself wanting, kind of what you're saying, of, like, here's where the game should go, and then it didn't for me, was I wanted more of that psychological horror... Um, where almost kind of like it's like that dream where you just want to wake up so badly (laughs) and it's impossible like you cannot wake up and you're aware of the horror and you're just like fucking kill me like I just want this to be over and I wanted more of that feeling that it was because it was really good at producing that where it was just like oh god you know like when Sari Sari killed herself and just kind of the 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 depth of emotion that's exposed and expressed there, just like, holy shit. Yeah. Um, and I, and I wanted that, you know, more, it's like, okay, Yuri is this tortured character. And so what I thought was going to happen is I was going to go through each of these characters and, and get closer to them. And I thought it was going to be a one by one, you know, picking off and restarting mm-hmm. after that first hook. Um, and so I found myself, you know, Oh, we're going to go to Yuri's house or, or my house or whatever. And things are going to escalate. Uh, gradually out of control until it's exposed in some way of like, oh, I cut myself and, you know, just something, just like 
again, just watching the horror unfold. Yeah. I guess that makes me sound like a totally sick person, but no, it, that's what yeah. <laughs> that's what draws me to the horror games, right? Is it's like yeah. I know something terrible is gonna happen. That's why I'm fucking playing this game. Yeah. Um and so I think I think for me that ended up clouding what followed. I remember yes. you said Yuri, yeah, it felt like her suicide was sudden and then yeah, like it they could have done it with Natsuki next too. Um I don't, I mean for me it was like the way that the game was making you replay the same stuff but it's like slightly weird at first and then it starts to get like it starts with like little weird stuff like your mouse pointer ends up turning into like a glitched out version of Sayori's face. Yeah. You know, like real little weird stuff. And then uh, like the music is pitched, like some mm-hmm. of the notes are pitched like a half note too high. Um, or that that scene where the background starts to rotate almost like imperceptibly slowly. <laughs> and then by the end, you're like, the background is rotated, right. but I didn't notice it rotating I, at all. And and it, that that's what I... The game was so good at doing that. Like, it's it so felt, good at doing. It that. felt so good, and that's what I that's what I love from horror games. Is it, yeah. like fuck all the monster closet, like jump scares, like that stuff. It's just annoying. Like I hate that. Yeah. Uh, it's it's good when it's effectively used. Yeah. But I want the psychological horror. I want to be like, what the hell is going on? Like, yeah. what just happened? Like, did the room just rotate? Like, what? Yeah. Am I fucking crazy right now? Like, that's what I I want to I want to be questioning my reality and. It teased me. I think that's what it, you know. It that was there, and I just, uh, like I said, you know, nothing's ever good enough. So that's going to be my hang-up with this one. But I like, I'm so close to wanting to say the words, but I'm not going to say the words. Uh, I was hoping yeah. to be able to get you there. You almost did. You you definitely got me closer than I was, but I I at least was able to find my hang-up, you know. And so that's on me. Um, I know I'm I'm a I'm a douche about that but uh i mean i'm a i'm a big jerk off about (laughs) any games like yeah in more ways than one (laughs) and uh and like i want to i want to say like for for many games i want to be like this game sucks i hate this game you know and uh and, and like if you've listened to past episodes and you've liked a lot the games that we've covered i'm sure it it has seemed hopelessly <laughs> reductive, you know, to some of the stuff that we've said about Ocarina of Time. And and that's that's my snobby self. Like, But when I find something that makes me feel like, oh, man, this is good, then I want to give it a 10 out of 10 in yeah. the same way that... Like, I want to be the person who's willing to maybe give more 10 out of 10s than the average person would because when I think something's great, I think it's really, really great. And, uh, I mean, so that's partly why I feel as strongly about this game as I do. Cause I'm, I feel like if I like something, I just want to say that I really like it. And, uh, this game just hit me like a fucking freight train. Like I was like reeling for days afterward thinking about it. And, uh, I love that. That's like yeah. the greatest. I mean, that that's the greatest thing for for games, right? That's that really is like, 
I and, love that feeling. Yeah. And and think about all the stuff we've talked about on this episode. We've talked about, you know, what is the what is the role what are the roles of women in fiction that is usually written by men? You know? Mm-hmm. And what do those end up looking like? And um what does it mean for a an AI to wake up in the confines of a human designed digital world and when they do what standard of morality should we apply to them mm-hmm. and it's all come from a fucking <laughs> anime dating sim like yeah. a four hour long anime dating sim made by one person with a few hired uh, two hired artists he even did all the music by himself and he, it's a little like it's it's the stuff that I love. It's like a hardcore punk EP of a video game for me. It's just so short, sweet, fast, to the point, brutally honest, um, just distilled. It's so good. So it is. that's why I love it. It's so very good. It's 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 very good. It's very good. It's very very good. Yeah. <laughs> And I want to get you all the way there. Not going to say the words. <laughs> but I know you can't. So, you can say it, though. Yeah, it's one of the best games ever made. I love that. You heard it here first. Doki Doki Literature Club is better than Ocarina of Time. <laughs> it's way better than Ocarina of Time. I mean, so. I, I, yeah. I don't know. I, based on my my previous judgment of Ocarina of Time, and now my my judgment here, I guess I can't disagree with you, which is weird to say. But uh, well done, well done, Doki Doki. Yep, you're good. Um, <laughs> I think that does it. So please consider leaving us a review if you enjoyed listening to this. We now have a website, which is the it's just bestgamesofalltimepodcast.com and you can email us any comments you have to bestgamespod at gmail.com and maybe one day we'll get Twitter too but uh, that's where we are right now. Thanks for listening. Thanks.